For our reading from the Heidelberg Catechism this afternoon, I'd encourage you to open your hymnals to the back to page 888. If you're using one of the Forms and Prayers books, it's on page 240. But we're going to read the first two questions and answers from Lord's Day 34. Actually, I'm just going to summarize the first one, the, the law of God. But this, this follows in the succession of Lord's Days in the third part of the Catechism of our Thanksgiving. And in Lord's Day 34, question answer 92, we get the question, what is God's law? And the answer, as you can see, is the Ten Commandments. We heard those read this morning, so we'll move on to question and answer 93. But how is this law of God, these commandments, divided? Into two tables. The first has four commandments, teaching us how we should live in relation to God. The second has six commandments, teaching us what we owe our neighbor. And then if you'd open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5, we're going to read the first five verses there. That is on page 1,213 in your pew Bibles. John has been writing to the church that is tempted to just leave the law of God behind since Christ has fulfilled it. But he is writing to them to encourage them not to do so. So 1 John chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Thus far the reading of God's word, and may he add his blessing to it. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, I don't think I'm surprising anybody when I say that we live in a very morally individualistic society. Everybody wants to live their own truth and make their own moral judgments. Some are encouraging kids to, live, to lie to their parents so that they can be who they want to be at school. Murdering babies in the womb is commonplace for the sake of con the convenience of others. Some men and women agree to open marriages so that they'll not be restricted to just one partner. And in some cities, it is acceptable to steal if you feel like you've been dealt a bad hand. And lying is so commonplace that we often wonder when someone might actually be telling the truth. All types of actions are now acceptable because society says that none of us should stand in judgment over the other. Fortunately, there is an authority who can stand in judgment over the world, and that authority himself gave us his law. The Ten Commandments are God's very own laws that condemn the sins of the world. That's right, we might say. Those people need to listen to God's holy law and obey it. But let me ask you, is that how you uphold God's law when it is applied to you? Young adults, do you always honor your parents when they give you an early curfew? Men, what kind of language do you use when you're not with people from church? 
And women, do you always uphold the good name of your neighbors in conversation? When you're reminded of these commandments, do you break out in praise to God, or do you feel like you have handcuffs on? Do you delight in this law of God, or do you feel frustrated by it? Our Bible passage and the Catechism show us which of these two responses is the correct one, and we will explore them together under the theme, God's grace makes us delight in God's law. We will develop this thought first by looking at two common misuses of the law, the error of righteousness by the law and the error of rejecting the law, and then by diving deeper into the proper use, the grace to rejoice in the law. Let's begin by introducing the error of righteousness by the law. Lord's Day 34, which we read from, marks the third week in part three of the Catechism, the section on gratitude. And having, after already having established that we are saved by grace alone, Lord's Day 32 introduced the subject of good works, noting that we are to do them because Christ redeemed us by his blood and renews us by his spirit. Lord's Day 33 talks about genuine repentance and conversion, stating that those who are truly converted hate their sin and also delight to do every kind of good work. It then ends by clarifying that good works are actions that conform to God's law. The Lord's Day we have before us follows the natural progression of questions asked by one truly converted. What then is God's law? How can I do good works that please God? And as we just read, the Ten Commandments are laid out as the law of God that should guide our everyday living. The structure of this part of the Catechism is really an echo of what we read from 1 John 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. What a comforting verse. His commandments are not burdensome. For those of us who have been born of God... It should be our heartfelt desire to love God and our neighbor. But let me ask you something. Does that describe your everyday experience with God's commandments? Is it your delight to keep them, or do they often feel burdensome to you? Adam and Eve knew what it was like to delight in God's commandments. They were created without sin and placed in a garden that had an abundance of fruit for them to enjoy. Sure, God had forbidden them to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, but that was just one tree among countless others. It was not a burden to obey God's single prohibition because what they were forbidden to do paled in comparison to what they were commanded to enjoy. As long as God's gracious character and his good law were held together, Adam and Eve could delight in obeying God. But obviously, something changed. Adam and Eve fell into sin. Satan deceived them into believing God was withholding something good from them, so they broke God's law. They saw God's command as burdensome and traded their freedom to obey for slavery to sin. God's goodness and his law, which once had been held together, were now separated. And this, dear congregation, is the root of both misuses of the law. The first of these misuses is the error of righteousness by the law, also known as legalism. Instead of obeying God's commands because he loves us, legalism tells us that we need to obey God's commands in order to receive his love. No longer are we able to obey from a position of freedom, but we are compelled to obey from a position of fear. 
It's as if the second half of verse three in our text gets negated and reads something like this. For this is the love of God, that we keep his burdensome commandments. That's not very comforting, is it? I suspect that most of us know the temptation of legalism all too well. As part of our sinful nature, it comes quite naturally to us. And all the more so for Christians of the Western world, where our culture has historically told us that we can get what we want if we just work hard and set our minds to it. If you want a university scholarship, then you need to work for good grades in school. And if you want to land your dream job, then you need to have a good GPA and a full resume. Your dream house might require both you and your spouse to work full time. There's an element of truth to those statements, but unfortunately, it is too easy to apply this mindset to our salvation as well. If you want to spend eternity in heaven with God, then you need to earn his favor through obedience to the law. In our minds, we know that we can never do this perfectly. We understand that we can't get to heaven by obeying every one of God's laws every single day. But in our hearts, we want our obedience to count for something. If we're going to put forth the effort to obey the commands, then we want some credit for our efforts. And so we devise clever arrangements for how our good works can contribute to our salvation. Maybe they just cover a part of our justification. Maybe we are justified completely by grace, but our good works are required to keep us from falling away from faith. Or maybe our obedience is required from the start to make us worthy of God's love and salvation. There's one thing that all these false views of good works have in common. They all take away from the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Anytime we try to have our obedience contribute to our salvation, we are essentially telling God that the death of his son wasn't enough to make us righteous. And let's be clear, if Jesus' atoning work on the cross wasn't enough to make us righteous, then there is no hope for our salvation because even our best works are tainted with sin. But praise the Lord that he doesn't require us to top off the sacrifice of Christ. Jesus came down to earth as the second Adam and did what no other human being could do. He obeyed the entire law of God perfectly. As God's own son, it was his delight to do his father's will. And for the children of God, the righteousness of Christ is given to us so that we don't have to earn it on our own. The proper response to this gift of salvation is the question our catechism asks. What is God's law so that I can show my love to him through my obedience? But the legalist doesn't accept the gift of salvation. He instead slaves away trying to buy the love of God with obedience points. What a sad state to be in, turning what is supposed to be not burdensome into a heavy burden that one has to bear on his own. But righteousness by the law is not the only way that we can distort the grace of God's will for us. There is also the error of rejecting the law. We have seen that pursuing our own righteousness by the law is not only wasted effort, but a sinful endeavor. Christ fulfilled the law for us and imputes his righteousness to us. And in gratitude for that gift, the response of Christians is to love the God who first loved us. And as we've seen in 1 John, keeping his commandments is the way we show our love for God for that gracious gift. So if Christ already fulfilled the law and is trying to, and if trying to attain righteousness by the law is wrong, 
then doesn't it seem fitting that we would just reject the law and forget about it? After all, if the law is no longer around, then we can't fall into the trap of legalism. But this too is a wrong way to view the law. And again, misconstrues verse three of our text, making it read something like, for this is the love from God that we don't have to keep his burdensome commandments. That's a long ways from what's actually says there. This error of rejecting the law is also known as antinomianism. And just like legalism, it comes in various forms. First, there is full-blown rejection of God's law. Those who say that as long as they love God, it makes absolutely no difference how they live their lives. They think that a loving God would never require those he loves to actually change their lives. This is becoming a common argument amongst those who wish to live in sinful relationships while still being a part of the church. Thankfully, this er error is fairly easy for us to spot and condemn, but there are more subtle forms that we are prone to. We don't reject the law across the board, but we pick and choose which sins we don't want the law to apply to. Let me offer a few examples. Kids, does God call you to honor your parents at all times or only when their decisions make sense to you? Do you delight to obey them at all times or do, you, or do some of their rules seem like too much to bear? And men, have you made a covenant with your eyes not to look with lust at another woman? Do you find freedom in showing exclusive devotion to your future or current wife? Or do you feel that God's commands in this area restrict your pleasure? And ladies, are you content with the blessings that God has given you? Does your identity in Christ bring you great comfort? Or are you constantly comparing yourself or your family to everybody around you? Not implying that everyone here falls into one of these three sins, but you know what sin you struggle with. We all have sins in our lives that we hesitate to part with because saying no just sounds too hard and too painful. But often our consciences don't let us off the hook, do they? Deep down inside, we know that we are hanging on to sins that we need to repent of. Yet we still hang on to those sins because we tell ourselves that we're saved by grace, not by works. And if we are saved by grace, then it shouldn't matter if we let a few indwelling sins remain in us, right? Wrong. This is essentially the same argument that the Apostle Paul was answering when he wrote in Romans 6, verses 15 and 16, these words. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? The attitude of hanging on to sin can only flow out of a heart that misunderstands the law, which leads to a faulty view of God. When people claim freedom from the law, they're actually saying they don't trust that God is a good and wise father who knows what's best for them. Plus, they are implying that the Holy Spirit is powerless to actually change their lives. But what Paul is saying here is that if you are comfortable with any sin in your life, then you are a slave to sin, which leads to death. He's not mincing words, is he? Paul's pronouncement is a far cry from the cushion we try to give ourselves when it comes to keeping all of God's commandments. But he can say such pointed words because of what we read in our text. Look again with me at verse 4. 
For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. The reason Paul holds to such a high standard is because our faith is in the one who paid such a high price. And he sent his Holy Spirit to give us new life so we can overcome the temptations of this world. So that leaves us with two options that are both incorrect. Seeking our righteousness by the law is wrong because it is a denial of God's love in Christ. And its opposite, rejecting the law, is wrong because it denies God's rightful claim over the lives of his elect. So if both extremes are wrong, does that mean the correct path lies in the middle? Should we just strive for a balance between legalism and antinomianism? What would that even look like? Remember what was said about Adam and Eve's first sin in our first point. Their sin was to separate God's gracious character from his law, resulting in the law becoming a burden. And that separation was the root of both misuses of the law. This separation not only led to viewing God's love as something that needs to be earned by keeping the law, but it also led to the idea that in order to find freedom, we need to despise God's law. Although antinomianism claims to reject the law, they are really just rejecting the call to obey the law that they find burdensome. At their root, righteousness by the law and rejecting the law are the same sin, which is why the correct relationship to the law can't be found by finding the middle ground between them. And just like legalism, antinomianism also despises the gospel of Jesus Christ because it fails to understand how the grace of God and the gospel works. If we are going to claim that Christ fulfilled the law for us, then we must also accept that we are united to him. And if we are united with Christ, then our new self will desire to obey God's commandments. For those in Christ, the law is not a burden that we must throw off in order to gain freedom. But the law is freedom itself. It is only when we are living in step with God's will for our lives that we can truly be free. And that is why God gives us the grace to rejoice in the law. Both the legalist and the antinomian are unable to rejoice in the law because they have rejected God's love. Those who seek their own righteousness by the law don't accept God's love that justifies them. And thus they find themselves trying to earn God's love. And those who reject the law refuse to accept God's love that sanctifies them into his image, all because they want to love God their own way. But remember, the grace to rejoice in the law is not just another option alongside these two. Legalism and antinomianism are different sides of the same fake coin. But being able to rejoice in the law is the pearl of great price. It is a radically different way of viewing the law. And the only reason we can see the law in this new way is because God first loved us and saved us out of our sin and misery. But do you find yourself wondering if true freedom is really found in obedience to God's law? Aren't the sins that we are so tempted by the things that bring us pleasure and make us feel free? Well, I guess that depends a bit on your definition of freedom. Does freedom have strings attached? Think about the sin that you feel brings you the most pleasure and now ask yourself, is there anybody, God included, who, I, who I'm trying to hide this sin from? If that answer is yes, which I suspect it is, then is that sin really an expression of freedom? 
How can freedom be found in something that you have to hide from others? That's not freedom. That's self-indulgent pleasure. The reason that true freedom is found in God's law is because you never have to hide anything. There is no guilt in obedience, which means you have nothing to hide. So why would we not want to obey the commandments that set us free from guilt? But how do we ensure that obedience flows out of love for God and not legalism? Think with me about a family, maybe your own family, that has young children, say two or three years old. Some of you don't have to think of it because it's a reality, but some of others might have to think back a few decades. How many kids that age go through a phase where they want to be just like mom or dad? If dad's wearing shorts, then the little boy wants to wear shorts too. If mom has her hair braided, then the little girl wants braids. If dad wears a tool belt, then you know who wants one as well. And if mom's rocking a baby, then there's also a doll getting rocked nearby. Why do kids act this way? Are they just little copycats because they have nothing better to do? I don't think so. For young kids, their parents are everything to them. Provider, protector, nurturer, comforter, you name it. This creates a bond of love so strong that the kids naturally want to be just like dad or mom. Kids want to imitate their parents because they love them and want to please them. Do we love God who is our provider, protector, nurturer, comforter, and savior in the same way? Are we so in love with God, with who God is to us, that we want to be just like him? Even by itself, Christ's role as our savior should be enough for us to want to imitate him and please him. And how do we become like Christ? By being conformed to his law. That's why he gave it to us. And we can rejoice in his good law because although we are bound to obey it as children of God, our desire to be like Christ makes us rejoice in obeying it. Praise the Lord that we do not have to rely on our ability to obey it for our salvation. God's law is his gift to us so that we can live a life of gratitude to him. If thinking about Christ as your savior doesn't move you to hate your sin and desire to obey God, then I'd have to ask you a question. Do you fully grasp what you've been saved from? Are you aware of how miserable and helpless you are apart from Christ? If so, then love for God should be flowing out of your heart because of the great things he has done for you. But if not, then maybe you're not really like those kids who adore their parents. Maybe you're more like a child who has an entitled spirit and thinks his parents are around to serve him. Maybe you have an antinomian view of God's law and you think God should be happy with what he's getting from you. But brothers and sisters, even if you do love the Lord and do have a sincere desire to obey him, there is still one glaring problem. We can't obey the law perfectly. We still sin. Sometimes we display a legalistic spirit and count on our works too much. And at other times, we display an antinomian spirit and hang on to our sin for too long. And at times yet, we just do things that we don't really want to do. If loving God means obeying his commands, is there any hope for us when our disobedience shows we don't exclusively love God? Yes, of course there is. Just a few chapters earlier in 1 John, he writes these words. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, 
we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. There is indeed forgiveness of sins for those whose faith is in Christ. And if you find yourself in need of forgiveness, repent of your sins and turn to Christ in faith, and God will be faithful to forgive you. Repent now while the day of salvation is at hand, for there is no salvation outside of Jesus. Jesus' blood is sufficient to pay for all of your sins, which makes him the perfect advocate for you. If you repent of your sins and ask for forgiveness, Christ will mediate for you on the basis of his perfect obedience and sacrifice on the cross. And when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in your heart, you will be made to hate your sin and rejoice in doing God's will. Dear people of God, it can be hard for us to think of laws in this way. In society, we are so used to laws that limit us, and often we think of God's law the same way. But hear these words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God's laws are a yoke on our shoulders that keep us from wandering off the path of life, but they are not a heavy yoke. Christ's burden is light because he has already borne all of our burdens. And God's laws can give us rest because they show us how to live in harmony with our creator. Praise be to the Lord that he gave us his beautiful law and may his grace make us delight in it every day. Amen. Let's turn to God in prayer. O Lord our God, you have given to us the glorious gospel of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your law, O Lord, and thank you for sending your Son to be our righteousness, so that the law is not burdensome to us. May we find it to be beautiful, and may it be our soul's delight to obey it. May our lives reflect you more and more as we grow in grace. This we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.